Our world is broken, cracked and stained by sin. We suffer, hurt, and fear every day because this world is not where we belong. So we have faith because the King will return. We live holy lives full of wonder, joy, and freedom. We know there is purpose and opportunity in our suffering. We are a chosen people, a holy nation, a people who live for Him. We are different. Welcome to Veritas. I'm Emily McHenry, if we haven't met yet. I promised a few girls before this that I would push some pee tonight. And just saying that makes me feel so lame, Um, or just reveals, I guess, how lame I am. Um, But um, anyways, when I found out that I was going to give a talk tonight um, about purpose, I had to kind of laugh a little bit. If you know me at all, I am a pretty stereotypical oldest child. I am a three on the Enneagram, and I came from parents who kind of overcame a lot um, when it came to going to school and building their own careers. And so for me, growing up, purpose was something that like had, it was just a loaded word. It had a lot of meaning and weight attached to it. Um, Since I was a little girl, um, I would have always had a very ready answer for whenever you would ask me the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? In fifth grade, I would have pretty confidently told you that when I grew up, I was going to be an author. Um, I had these journals filled with these short stories that I would write, and I would give them away to my friends and my my family and even my teachers, which is, like, so nerdy. Um, But all of them, all of these stories were, like, super tragic. I will tell you that I lived a very normal life growing up, a very just, like, normal vanilla childhood. Um, But if you read these stories, you would probably think that I was tormented. Uh, There was one story where I tried to save my best friend in the Holocaust, but we both died. Um, Another story where I had cancer and died. Another story where my whole family went on vacation to New York City and were in the World Trade Center on 9-11 when it came down and my whole family died. And so naturally, I had to go survive in the wilderness, but I realized when I got there that I also had died, and so I was just a ghost. Um, By seventh grade, I had kind of moved on from the dream of being an author, and I started telling people that I wanted to be a doctor when I grew up. My mom, um, being in healthcare herself, I think, got super excited and signed me up for a healthcare careers camp where I got to shadow a bunch of doctors and nurses for a week. Um, But to be honest with you, no offense to all of you healthcare people, future healthcare people out there, um, but I was so grossed out, I almost fainted at the gallbladder surgery. And afterwards, I was like, you know what, no, no, no. I like, for sure, healthcare is not for me. And so, flash forward a couple more years, um, and I decided, you know what, maybe engineering is for me. And if you know me at all, I was a journalism major in college. Um, This is the most out of left field. My mom, being a supportive mother, um, signed me up for a future engineer's camp. 
And the main activity of the weekend was we were supposed to build this robot butterfly. And again, no offense to all of you future engineers, you guys are so, so great. Um, I was so confused and so bored that I cried. Um, yeah, all of these are like pretty lighthearted um, examples of me trying to find my purpose and meaning in life. Um, but I also have plenty of stories uh, where I just didn't know what my purpose, what my direction for my life was. Times, especially in college for me, where I felt like pretty lost. Like my freshman year of college marked the end of my 16 year long dance career. Um, I was pretty devastated when it came to an end. I didn't really know what to do anymore with my time, um, what to do with my major. I thought I wanted to be a coach maybe, um, but deciding my degree felt like, I just felt really lost because I didn't have this part of me that had always been there. Or also my freshman year of college, um, I came into school, came into Mizzou wanting to be a part of a sorority and I was really, really excited to be a part of one um, that was until I was dropped on bid day, um, which means that on bid day, there were no sororities that wanted me. Um, and so my first, whole first semester of college, I just remember feeling really lost here. Um, I thought about transferring because I didn't know what my place was gonna be at Mizzou if like this one thing that I thought was gonna be there wasn't. And I can also share how all of college, I felt so stressed about my grades because I felt like my future career, for some reason, was always writing on whatever assignment or test or project that I had coming that week. I mean, I know that you guys feel this pressure to find your purpose in some way or another right now. Between deciding a major, building a resume, balancing all of your organizations, landing an internship this summer, choosing a career path, finding your people here, me making meaningful relationships, making a difference, leaving a legacy. I mean, I could keep going. College can feel like this pressure cooker of sorts when it comes to finding your purpose. But not to mention that, just in general, um, but your generation in particular is the most purpose-driven generation of our time. So you guys are the most driven by purpose out of any other generation that's alive right now. You guys feel this. There was a recent study that came out um, I found it pretty interesting, but it said that 86% of young adults say that making decisions in line with their purpose is what makes them an adult. And so most of you guys um, believe that inherent to being an adult is that you're making decisions that line up with your purpose. Like seems pretty straightforward. We probably all could probably agree with that. But then it breaks down and it says that only 43% of young adults say that they have a clear picture of what they want in life, and then it gets lower. Only 30% know why they are here in the first place. So almost all of you feel this pressure to live your lives in line with your purpose, but most of you don't know what your purpose is or even why you're here in the first place. You feel this pressure to live a life of purpose, but you don't know what your purpose is. Does that maybe strike a chord with you? I believe that we all feel this pressure to live a life of purpose because we were created to live a life of purpose. I mean, think about the kinds of stories and movies and TV shows that really captivated you as a kid. 
if you think about it, so many of them are actually the same kind of story arc. Like plain old person A overcomes being like plain and old and they do something like heroic, they overcome adversity, and they harness their potential. Maybe someone saw something that was special in them and they become someone who's renowned. They become someone that's known for overcoming whatever it was that that person overcame. Think about like Harry Potter or Star Wars or The Little Mermaid, or even recently, I just saw the movie Dune and it stuck out to me there. We love these stories because it touches a part of who we are, a part of us that I believe that God put there. You have this idea, you have a dream, a desire, something deep inside of you that you were made for something more. I've been watching the show, Cheer. Um, if you've talked to me at all in the past couple of weeks, I hear a couple of whispers. Um, but it, season two just came out. So, but anyways, I, I love the show. <laughs> um, if you've talked to me at all, I'd probably try to get you to watch it. Um, if you're already tuning me out because I'm going to talk about cheerleading, I promise I'm not going to talk about cheerleading. Just the story behind it. But it's so interesting. Um, it centers on this program. These are the, uh, the coach right there. Um, but it centers on this program that is set in the middle of nowhere at a junior college in Texas. Um, and this happens to be like one of the best collegiate college, collegiate college, college cheer teams in the nation. People come from all over the nation to be a part of this cheer team that's coached by this girl, Monica. And it's interesting because it's not set at like a four-year college university with a lot of funding like a state school, but it's set at a junior college serving underprivileged college students, giving them a chance to be a part of what is like the best cheer team in the nation. It's amazing. A lot of these cheerleaders, they come from really tough backgrounds, abuse, neglect, even jail. I mean, you name it. But Monica, the coach, she gives them a, a purpose that is outside of them, and she gives them a team of people that are striving for the same thing together and an identity to live up to, and it is, like, so, so cool to watch. And you watch these college students, they step out of their old lives and into this purpose that she's called them to. You see a guy that steps out of life that was marked by bullying and abuse and into this life that is constantly building other people up. It's so cool. And you see a girl who was known for fighting people and even went to jail for assaulting someone in high school. Um, she goes from that life and into a community of people where she's collaborating and working together alongside people um, towards something that is bigger than herself. And this cheer team, it really does like pull so many people out of their dark places. And it's into a purpose that is bigger than themselves, but there's just one thing that I keep coming back to and the show keeps on coming back to, that as amazing as this program is, um, both in the cheer world and also to the individuals on it, as amazing as it is, it doesn't last. People graduate and they have to leave. Um, a cheerleader gets injured and can't compete or has to like stop cheering altogether. COVID shuts down the national championship, someone gets arrested. While so much is striving and good is happening, the show also dedicates a whole lot to this one part, um, its temporariness. We've been in this series called Different, and we've been going through a few chapters in 1 Peter to see how we're called to be different. We've been exploring how we've been called to be different people, 
how we've been called to be holy people, which means to be set apart. Holy people because we serve a holy God. And then last week, we talked about how we get to have a different perspective when we face suffering for our faith because we know the bigger picture and we have the bigger perspective. And tonight, we're going to be talking about purpose, specifically how we have been called to have a different purpose, to declare God's praise. And that purpose is a better purpose than anything we can create for ourselves. Okay, we're going to pick up in 1 Peter 2. We're going to be focusing in on 9 through 12. And I'm going to stop a lot, of it, a lot so try and stay with me here. Um, we're going to pick up in verse 9. It says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. I'm already going to stop. These are really big words um, with a ton of meaning packed behind them. Um, and we don't have a ton of time to follow all of their rabbit trails, but I'm going to try and kind of quickly sum this up because I think it's really cool what Peter is saying here. He says that if you are a follower of Jesus, this is what God says of you. He says that you are a chosen people, that you have been chosen by God. This echoes a lot of passages in scripture, but specifically, I think it hyperlinks us to Deuteronomy 7, verse 6, when it says, for you are a people holy or different, set apart to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. And he goes on in 1 Peter, um, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, and priesthood, this echoes like an important role in the Old Testament. That's probably a little foreign to us now. But in short, priests, they cared for the temple, which was where, excuse me, God's presence was said to dwell. And they cared for God's face, but they also represented God to his people, and they represented his people back to God. And so you can kind of think of priests as representatives. And so Peter is saying that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a royal representatives. And he goes on to say that you are a holy nation. Holy, like we've been talking about, means to be different or set apart from the world around us. With Jesus as our king, followers of Jesus are allegiant to him and, and to his kingdom, his nation. We are a holy nation. And then he goes on to say that you are God's special or treasured possession. And so we, as followers of Jesus, are chosen and treasured people to represent him to the world and to be allegiant to him over all else. And now I want to draw your attention to something kind of small, but I think it's really cool, um, to, in all of these things. All of these words are communal words. So it's not just me, it's not just you, but collectively, we are chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and God's special possession. Peter kind of draws, in, draws this out um, right before this um, in 1 Peter. He says in verse 4 and 5, as you come to him, talking about Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. And so in this, that's kind of like wordy, but follow me here. Peter is giving us this beautiful word picture of the building of a house. It's an image of followers of Jesus taking their place 
in God's bigger story that he's writing in the world. He's saying that you are not isolated and are without purpose. Metaphorically speaking, as followers of Jesus, you are a living stone that is intentionally interconnected with other followers of Jesus, other living stones, and each of us are taking our place in the building of the Father's house. And so Peter starts here. He reminds us of our identity, chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, God's treasured possession. And then he reminds us of our purpose. He says, he goes on to say, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Now I know some of you are sitting here thinking, yeah, that sounds like great, but can we get like maybe a little bit more specific here? Um, What's my purpose? He says, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Now I get that you guys are in college You guys are trying to figure out what internship to take this summer, what career path to go down, um, who you're supposed to date. Um, You might be sitting here like, okay, like, but what am I supposed to be? Who who am I supposed to be? Like, what am I supposed to do? Peter says that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. When we ask God, what's my purpose? And I say we because I do this all the time. Um, We want him to answer us as if it was a cookbook or a recipe. Like, you are supposed to make a chocolate cake. And this is everything that you need to do and everything you need to have in order to make that chocolate cake. But that's not how he answers us. And to be honest, he probably won't. If that's what you're waiting for, you're probably missing out on actually a lot of meaning and purpose and beauty that he has for you already. Because God's purpose for you is the very thing that you were created to do. Isaiah 43, verses 20 and 21 says, that the wild animals honor me because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself that they may proclaim my praise. Revelation 4.11 says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Psalm 156 says, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Psalm 51.15 says, Lord, open up my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Our very purpose as as a chosen people, a royal priesthood, holy nation, God's treasured possession, our purpose is to declare his praise. And this begs the question, is is this the driving force of your life? Does that describe the people and the choices and the things that you are going after honestly? If our purpose is supposed to be at the core of who we are and what we do and why we do it? Are you living like this is your purpose in life? And maybe you're sitting here thinking like, yeah, I want it to be, but how do I actually do that? Like, how do I position my life around this purpose to declare God's praise? Well, Peter kind of fleshes this out for us in verses 10 through 12. Um, And we're gonna break these down, but essentially for all you note takers, Um, We're going to split it up into three things. 
Um, he says to remember, he says to abstain, and he says to influence. So we're going to start with remember. Some of us, when we hear that we're supposed to declare his praise, we immediately jump to who we're supposed to declare his praises to, right? And then we think about it, and most of us don't actually follow through with it when the rubber hits the road. Like when we have an opportunity to declare his praise or share our faith with someone, we kind of chicken out. We don't really know what it is we, that we would say or if we would say it well, and so we probably just won't say anything at all. And so I find it interesting that right after Peter reminds, him of, reminds us of who we are and calls us to declare his praise, he calls us to do something internal. And he calls us us. He calls us to remember. He says in verse, in verse 2, 10, Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. If we want to live a life that praises God, we have to remember what he has done in our lives. This might seem so elementary, but let me, let me ask you this. If someone were to ask you, come up to you and ask you about your faith in God and ask how God has worked or moved in your life. Would you have a ready answer? What about just in the last week? How has God been worthy of your praise in the last week? What is true of him? What has been true of him? What has he done for you, even just in the last week, that could lead you into praising him? I don't know about you, but this is like pretty convicting for me. Um, as a collective staff team at The Crossing, we recently talked about this, and I was pretty convicted. Um, because if I'm being honest, like praise kind of falls to the back burner for me in my personal relationship with Jesus. Kind of like gratitude or thankfulness, it kind of doesn't become necessary almost for me. But then I'm challenged when I read things like what David says in Psalm 143 when he says, I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all of your works, and I consider what your hands have done. I spread out my hands to you. I thirst for you like a parched land. Here's why I think Peter starts with something internal. We have to know for ourselves what God has done in our lives. And when we really, really understand what God has done, our lives will overflow with praise. Another way that we can position our lives to declare God's praise is by abstaining, fun word, or refusing worldly desires. Peter goes on in verse 11 to say, Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from worldly desires which wage war against your soul. You would almost hear Peter pleading here, Friends, I urge you. This is hard, I know. But you are foreign to this world. You are utterly different, holy, set apart from the world around you. Another translation says, the things of this world are not your home, so don't make yourself cozy in them. You were created for more than anything this world can offer you. Abstain from worldly desires. They wage war against your soul, against the very fabric of who you are. Similarly, Paul says in Romans 12, too, he says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
I get that there is pressure to assimilate in college. There's pressure to not stand out, not be too weird, ruffle any feathers. I mean, you guys are trying to make face look attractive. I get it. It's hard. I'm not oblivious. But there is wisdom in not conforming to the patterns of this world. The things of this world are not your home. Do not make yourself cozy in them. I wish I could spend more time on this point and really all of the points, but um, just think about this for a second. When we abstain from worldly desires, we declare with our own lives that Jesus is enough. When we choose God over sin, we declare his praise to ourselves and to the people around us that however much I want, however much I desire this one thing, Jesus is better and more than that. And then finally, Peter gives us one more way that we can position our lives to declare God's praise. And it's pretty wordy, and so I kind of just shortened it into one word, and that's influence. He says in verse 12, he says, live such good lives among the pagans or non-Christians that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Live such good lives among non-believers that even though they disagree with you, even though they accuse you of doing wrong, even though they might think that you're dumb or silly or old-fashioned, fill in the blank. Live such good lives, live such an attractive life that non-believers see you and think that there might be something more out there for them too. I think about a friend of mine from college. Um, She came to Mizzou as like a staunch atheist and on a whim decided to come on the Veritas Jamaica trip um, with me and a couple of our mutual friends. And the trip, but also coming back and seeing almost 60 college students live out their faith in college, it was contagious for her and it completely changed her life. This past weekend, she actually got baptized and I just think that's so cool. Or I think about um, this story, someone actually shared this with me this week. Um, There's someone that college has just been tough for them. She's a Christian, she comes to Veritas, um, but just a lot of life has happened in college. But instead of letting life pull her away from Jesus, um, she's been letting it push her towards him. And she's been leaning into her relationship with God personally, but also in her small group and also here at Veritas. And it's been contagious for her friends and family to see her lean into Jesus and praise him even when life has been hard. Or one more story. I think about my friend um, who I made here when I was here in Veritas. Um, She's now a fifth grade teacher and she's a Christian and she makes a point in her classroom to make her students feel loved and valued and like there's something more for them out there. And a a year after this one particular student was in her class, um, her dad passed away. And of all the places that she turned to, she came back to my friend's classroom. Because that was a space, whether she knew why or not, that she felt loved. I just think that is such a beautiful calling. We should live our lives in such a way that points people beyond ourselves. That the people around us, whether or not they know the source or the object of our praise, that they might praise God too. Think about your life for a second. I think in college, it's really easy to get into this like mental trap that our purposes, or our life really, starts after we get our cap and gown. 
But God's purpose for you is already available to you. God's purpose for you is already available to you. In your classes, declare his praise. When you're alone in your dorm room, declare his praise. In your, in your dorm floor, in your sorority or fraternity, declare his praise. With your family, in your friendships and roommates, declare his praise. In your work, in your homework, in your classes, declare his praise. And this purpose, this is so different than anything else that the world can offer us or any other purpose that we can create for ourselves. I'm reminded of an abandoned cemetery um, that my husband and I came across last year when we were backpacking in Arkansas. We um, completed a 30-mile stretch of the Buffalo National River. This is a picture. I did not take that. Um, but it just shows how vast it is. Um, but it's uh, in the middle of the Ozark Mountains, um, huge, like, forest, huge river. And as we went, um, there would be these signposts in the road so you would know, like, how far you've gone and how far you have to go um, just so you can, like, kind of stay on track and not get too lost. Um, and usually they're just, like, a literal, like, carved wooden sign in the ground. Um, but then we came across this one in particular um, that was actually just an, uh, an abandoned cemetery. Um, no roads led to it. I think I have a picture. No roads led to it. It was literally in the middle of a forest. Um, you can see that they, like, kind of fenced it off. But other than that, like, it was literally in the middle of nowhere. There's no way that you can get to the cemetery anymore except by backpacking a 30-mile trail. We came to learn that um, at one point there was an entire town or at least like a large village um, that used to be there. Um, they were farmers. I'm sure that someone in the town was a town medic. I'm sure that someone kind of took the position of educating and teaching all the, the kids. They had homes and families and farmhouses or farm animals and like houses. But eventually these people, they passed away. Their loved ones moved on and an entire forest grew up where they once were. And I just haven't been able to get like, that image out of my head since. These people and their purposes have been completely forgotten. First Peter says right before what we've been talking about, he says that all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. We will one day fade. The purposes that we construct for ourselves will too. As the music team comes back up, I kind of wanted to end on a story about something that I touched on earlier. There is this monastery in Portugal um, called the Batala Monastery, if I say that right. Um, it was built in the 1300s. It's, like, beautiful. Um, it's highly regarded as, like, an architectural masterpiece for that time. People come from all over the world to see it. But there's something particularly interesting about this. There's a portion of it that remains unfinished. Yeah, that's a picture. They call them the unfinished chapels. We don't know why construction on them stopped or even if it was on purpose. Um, but it makes me think about something that we read earlier tonight. And I'm going to leave this picture up and read that passage again. It says that as you come to him, talking about Jesus, as you come to Jesus, the living stone, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house 
to be a holy priesthood. As we come to Jesus, we join together as a holy priesthood, as a people set apart from the world around us, representing God to the world around us, telling his story and declaring his praise. And we, like living stones, are being built into this great, big, beautiful cathedral whose sole and ultimate purpose is to praise the God who created us and is at work in us. Like the unfinished chapels, this work will always be unfinished. We will never be done praising God. God's purpose for us is to declare his praise. And that's a better purpose than any purpose we can create for ourselves.